welcome to the Tumbleweed Podcast, where we discuss an eclectic range of topics, including business, design, Texas culture, and everything in between. We're two teachers that turned a side hustle into a nationally known apparel brand, and now we work with some of the biggest names in Texas. We strive to never stop exploring and continue to draw inspiration from our adventures. So drift and explore or raise a glass. We're always ready to hang out and talk about the things that we love. So come roll with us as we drift and explore. Hey, today we are here with one of my friends that I get to see every single morning at La Finca Coffee and Bakery, the uh, CEO, the owner, the head guru, not sure exactly what his title is, but he is the man of La Finca Coffee, Lee Gonzalez. Thanks for being here with us today. Thank you, Brian. It's great to be here. That was a very generous introduction. I think it was more than I probably deserve. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably so, but you do make good coffee, so it makes it okay. All right. I appreciate it. But, so I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Well, today, so uh, in, in our Tumbleweed podcast, you know, we like to cover all things Texas, but also all things in the life culture that we love to live in. And of course, that's craft beer, whiskey, wine, but of course, the thing that fuels us every day, coffee, and getting into things such as business, how you do what you do, why you do what you do, and ultimately just want to hear the story of who you are and uh, the product that you create, sell, and and get to customers. So if you don't mind sharing with us exactly who are you, what do you do, and exactly why are you here on this podcast today? All right. Well, it may be a little challenging. I know Brian's probably laughing. He's like, no, you don't have a problem talking about your story. Uh, but it's a, great to be here. I love sharing just kind of where we've been and where we're going in our story. But I know that this journey, at least here locally uh, in, at La Finca here in Frisco, I know you and I were doing construction and getting our spaces built out here at the patios about the same time. We got to know each other really well. And so that seems so long ago, even though that was fairly recent, yeah. actually. <laughs> well, it's crazy. when So, you know, building out a store, people that our customers, our social media followers, friends, family, you know, they always think of our store as the glamorous street view but they didn't realize what all went down before we ever you know put together our store and there were so many things as a business person I thought I knew but building out a store even though it's a you know small little space uh, I remember going over to you asking questions about you know wood and concrete and plumbing and lighting all the little things that uh, we did. And the thing that amazed me is you actually were your own contractor for your own space. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. One of the things, and we'll get into this story a little bit, but I spent you know roughly 10 years out of the country in Mexico. And one of the things I learned while I was there is how to get things done when you didn't necessarily have things available to you. And with that, there was a great experience just to learn how to do remodel a space, get a commercial space together, though it might have been different uh, building standards and so forth, but just that idea of understanding and learning those processes. So that was very helpful. So when you would come over, uh, I felt like, you know, I was an expert, even though I was, and I was winging it probably just as much as you were, but but it was good, you know, the, you know, being able to help others out just through that experience. And so I'm always appreciative of prior experiences and same thing I would come to you regularly and I still do hey Brian what do you think about this or what have you seen about that what's your uh, you know experience with this and that and so it's been good it's been a mutual relationship we've been able to help one another 
out. And so that's been a great thing. For sure. And so I think, you know, for all of you listening in, one of the cool things about my friendship with Lee is it was truly in the development of a business, uh, creating not necessarily our brands, because La Finca has has, uh, existed long before, I believe, Frisco, and we'll get into that a little bit, but uh, just the build out of our space, uh, trying to work with the city, get permits, and do all the things that the average business person might not know. And as he said, we got to figure it out and uh, do a lot of learning, educating as we go. Um, but coming back to you and what you do, coffee, how did you get into coffee and bakery and even have a desire to start a restaurant, a business in Frisco? So I will tell you, it was a long road. It wasn't, most people think you just all of a sudden, this is what you've done all your life. It was in a direct route or it wasn't something we had had planned for years and years to do. Um, it was a journey through that process. And it started out, um, my background is the corporate world. I worked, uh, did a corporate accounting for a while, and then I did corporate finance. Worked in some large uh, companies, most recently before. I uh, went out and started doing work as an entrepreneur. I was at uh, Frito-Lay corporate offices in Plano. And through that process, I think the journey to coffee really started from gathering friends. I can tell you I wasn't a coffee drinker, as most people probably think that he must have been drinking coffee black since he was a kid. Not quite. I did remember there's an interesting story. When I was about four years old, my grandmother used to take care of me. And so I'd get dropped off early in the morning. My mother was a teacher. She'd drop me off in the morning before she went to work. I'd stay the day there. Well, she rented a, had a small rental house next to hers where she rented out to this older older man. And so the first thing I would do, go in, I'm here, go over to the neighbor's house, and he was a retired older man. He'd put a pot of coffee, instant coffee, so you'd have the old-style kettle that would whistle when it was ready. And he'd pour hot water over that instant coffee in a mug. And I was a four-year-old sharing coffee with this probably 60-something-year-old man, uh, just with a lot of sugar, a lot of milk. But I remember early on that was that first encounter of just there was something I remember his name was Beto. I remember to this day uh, that experience and that time having sat down at a table, and that was a morning rit- ritual. Mm. And I didn't think much of it. So later on, you grow up, you go to school, you move on, life moves on. But that was, I think back, that was probably my first encounter. But the every encounter we had was very relational. Uh, fast forward, when we were doing small groups in our church and so forth, a, a lot of the small groups was like, hey, let's go meet for a coffee in the yeah. evening. So we'd go meet for a coffee uh, at some, one of these very famous coffee places and starting to learn what other type coffee drinks are. Now, not so much instant coffee, but what is a, a latte? What are some of the other things? And still plenty of sugar, plenty of flavors in them, but just that once again, it was centered around coming together or meeting in someone's home. And the first thing that was done was, hey, uh, put a pot of coffee on and share it with everybody. And it was just something that we always encountered was a gathering of people. And so, and then you move forward. So we go to Mexico and we're, next thing you know, we're in this coffee desert. (laughs) There was one local coffee place and nothing else. And so we're sitting here three years in Mexico doing nonprofit work. Yeah. And and we come back and we was like really craving a gathering place like we were accustomed to. As I mentioned to you before, yeah. coffee was always 
gathering right with friends family and we didn't have that yeah so that led us to the next step of where we're at how do we create this gathering spot more than anything else yeah. and that's that's a cool thing because our, our brand tumbleweed textiles people think of t-shirts but then the day it's really not about the shirt for us it's about the connection of people to a lifestyle right so yes jeb and i when we i saw him drawing sketching something in his notepad our first thought was hey we're gonna put this on a shirt because people are going to wear it to a concert or a gathering place sure uh and so that's the thing i love about going over to your and i know you're about to share about your new place in frisco but is we see the gathering of small groups from churches to business meetings um so it seems like what you set out to do back then is exactly what you're accomplishing now is people are going to your location to meet talk, connect, and grow their business, grow their families, grow their relationships, grow their small groups. And so I think that's really cool that the true purpose or mission was actually more than just coffee, more than just making money, but it's about people, people-driven uh, purpose. And so with that, how did you find yourself in Frisco? You know, I, I know there's more than just the business, uh, but and I know you mentioned Frito Lay. You you have a background in the Plano Dallas Fort Worth area. Also, you went to Mexico, uh, took a hiatus from the states, came back. Uh, exactly why did you come back, and how did you uh, venture out to do what you're doing now? So our ties here to Frisco go way back, pretty far. Uh, my wife actually came to Frisco in the mid '80s, and so she was born in Mexico, came with a family in the '80s and really went through all of middle school, high school here in Frisco, graduated Frisco High School, the original Frisco yeah. High School that's uh, now the middle school here. Yeah. And then uh, she stayed around here while we met while I was in college. I'm actually from West Texas. We talk a little bit about uh, you have a background in West Texas, yeah. Texas Tech. You and Jeb both uh, went to school and graduated yeah. there. What, what uh, I already know, but let everyone know, where are you uh, from in West Texas? So I'll put it this way, that the name clearly describes the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The name of the, the town, I wouldn't even say city, the town is called Plainview. Yep. And it's a very good descriptor of what it is there. So it's, you know, 45 minutes from Lubbock. I grew up there, was born there, went to school there, graduated high school there. I actually went to school at Texas Tech for a year as well. Did all my freshman year of college in, at Texas Tech. And then decided to move to Dallas area. I had a lot of friends up here, a brother who's living up here. And just had a lot of connections here and decided more so not a strategic reason because <laughs> of the school. It was more because friends, relationship, family to move up here. And I transferred to UT Arlington. And so that brought me to the Dallas area. Okay. And through while I was in college, I met who is now Patricia, who is now my wife. Uh, we got married and we moved to Frisco. So we she had been here for a while. And then I moved here. This was. Uh, mid 90s. Okay. Very so cool. we were in the Frisco area because we we were generally in this area from then until we went to Mexico in 2010. Yeah. And so this is home. Uh, we're we've been here forever. All our family lives here. She grew up here. Um, and so this is just home. And so went to Mexico. We learned coffee. The whole idea of just the gathering place and a lot of pl people would describe our place as you think about uh, cheers, what they would say, where everybody knows your name. Mm -hmm. That idea you could walk in a space, see friends, 
see people who knew you, you knew them, and but also that you would be known. Very cool. That you would be greeted by your name. People would know what you would like. And uh, some of the maybe older listeners, uh, such as myself, <laughs> we can relate to that example of Cheers. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what we wanted to create. So we created that uh, in, the, in Mexico, and that was a descriptor a lot of people gave us. But along the process, one of the things we learned, and you sit here, and, and this is the backdrop to what you see here when you come here, because we're probably a little bit slightly different from a typical coffee shop locally. Yeah. Uh, the Mexican culture is very much centered around gathering food and drinks. Yeah. And so we had the drinks, but a lot of people, one of the big things in the Mexican culture is breakfast. People love to eat breakfast, and they don't want a croissant or a muffin. They want breakfast. Right. Oh, yeah. And so we'd had a lot of customers would come, well, we'll come back and check it out and try the coffee later. That yeah. was, wouldn't happen. And so we started adding breakfast. And next thing you know, it, we had this breakfast business that was just booming, a little bit of lunch. And so where food became a part of it, but if we know almost in every culture and gathering, we gather around foods. Oh, yeah. Um, holidays, there's always usually a meal around that we gather sure. around. Friends get together to go out to dinner or get drinks. And so food and, and drinks are what bring people together. So we learned that from that time we were in Mexico. So when we came back to Frisco, drawing a little bit about what brought us back is yeah. uh, just phases of life, For I sure. think. Kids, we have two sons that spent their uh, adolescent years in Mexico, growing up in Mexico. Yeah. And they had come back to go to school and no other place than you would probably guess where they went. <laughs> Wreck them. <laughs> Texas Tech. So they went to school. They were already back here in school. Uh, my wife's family was all living here in Frisco. My mother-in-law was getting older. And so uh, we had been gone for almost 10 years. And my wife uh, just really wanted to have spend more time. Yeah. So we were trying to figure out, okay, do we spend part-time here, part-time Mexico? Do we come back? And sure enough, things happen in life that change the trajectory of where you're going. Yeah. And I could share story after story, but I'll just share this one uh, today. Was we had a lady who was a customer of ours who had seen the business grow, who was looking f to buy a business for the family. They were looking for an investment, and she had came and made an offer to us to buy our business. Wow. We didn't have a for sale sign. We didn't have anything up. And so it was one of those things is that I was still in Mexico. My family was here in Frisco because it was around this time of year. It was in December, right oh, yeah. before Christmas. And so I called up my wife and said, hey, we got this offer to someone wants to buy the business. What do you think? We prayed about it, thought about it. A day or two later, we yeah. got a price together, offered to her. <laughs> she accepted it. Yeah. So that was December. The next month in January, we closed on the deal. And we said, well, if we don't have a business here, we probably best, you know, kind of made that decision happen yeah. easier to come back to Frisco. We put our house for sale. We had our house sold by around April. Okay. And so we found ourselves in a six-month time period. We had our business house, everything wrapped up in Mexico, and we were back here in Frisco. Wow, changes real quick. Yeah. Uh, are you glad you made that change? Um, yeah, it was, uh, there, it was the right time. Yeah. And my wife would tell you is that she would never thought because the the whole thing there was she just thought I would never want to come back okay. and I never thought about it it wasn't in the plans I enjoyed my time in Mexico I enjoyed the culture I enjoyed the experience yeah but something at that point just we knew it was the right time 
Right. And when pieces come together like that, you know, and, and in business, you've probably seen it in Tumbleweed. You've seen it in your life personally. Oh, yeah. That there are just certain markers in life and things come together, and you just know when it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Well, that's where, you know, I always tell my team, and and I, I'm a big believer for this is, you know, do what you do with excellence to the best of your ability and not necessarily always think ahead, but just focus on doing a really good job. And then when the right time for the next opportunity happens and that door opens, then it, is, it makes it natural and easy to move on to that next step. And so it's evident, obviously, from free delay, you know, from West Texas to, which is a very much of a community of relationships and people gathering, going over to the hub city of Lubbock, <laughs> um, music and food and different things like that, to obviously UTA. Uh, it seems like all these steps kind of prepared you for Mexico and then also prepared you to come back to Frisco. And what I think is amazing about La Finca, uh, the coffee part, but also even more so the bakery aspect, people think of, oh, it's coffee. But I think I, when I think of your place, I actually think more of the food than I do even the coffee. Uh, not in a bad way. It's just, you hurt me, Brian. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, but I say that because you're right. I mean, when I go there, you have breakfast, you have you have lunch, you have sandwiches, the tacos, to all sorts of different of you know breakfast items. You know, my wife loves the chili killers, mm-hmm. and I probably butchered that name. You did uh, good, Brian. You actually. know, and um, you know, so it, of course you got the coffee. You know, and a coffee shop, you know what you're to get. Most coffee shops don't do the food, and not only the food home bake it, make it right there on location like y'all do. So I think it's been incredible just seeing where you've come from to even more so where you're at and probably where you're going, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but I just want to give kudos to your team because you, you the things you've mentioned here is homegrown, quality, things such as excellence, your family gathering spot. And whenever I come or my team comes into La Finca, we see family, we see community, we see our friends from church, we see our friends from work, from the city, from the community. I see people travel up from the Dallas, other areas that aren't even from Frisco to try it. I mean, there's a guy there that, Spencer, I played soccer with him back in elementary and middle school, and I see them every day. I see a guy, one of my fraternity brothers from Texas Tech, I see them there about every other day. And so it's truly a gathering place that people come to experience life, good food, good drinks, but also I think people show up because of the people there. And I think your staff is a big reason why people come there. There's a smile on their face. They know their coffee. They know their food. If they don't, you made sure they, you train them up well. And so I, I want to shift over to that is your, your team philosophy. You didn't know I was going to ask this question. Sure. And, but tell me a little bit about, like, how do you ensure that your team is so friendly and kind and courteous the way they are, making it feel like home when people come in your door? So to answer that question, I'll take one step back and tell you why that happens. Okay. So when we came back to Frisco, we were asking ourselves, so what next? And we remembered what we were able to establish in Mexico, what the feedback from the community was, how they felt about the place, and how they had adopted it as their place, yeah. a local gathering place for them where they could step in, look for their friends, where they could... Uh, come in and meet if it's a business meeting if it's a friend or if it was a date or whatever they wanted to do they could do that and we said why don't we bring that to Frisco okay but we also knew the big component of that was some of those things you just mentioned it goes back to 
a quality product, but with quality service. Right. A lot of places do one or the other well. Very few do both well. For sure. And we knew that that's what our goal was. And so we had the feedback on our product because we brought probably 80% of our menu that we had previously done. Uh, And speaking of that, we said, we want to bring the authenticity of what we're doing in Mexico back with us and share what that looks like. Yeah. And so you'll see some things on the menu items you mentioned just a while ago. I might have butchered the name of chilaquiles. It's a very, very popular Mexican breakfast in Mexico. Probably one of the, it's probably the most popular Mexican breakfast. But coming here, many people might have not heard of it or known it in the form that we were doing it. Yeah. But I can tell you, we fast forward two years forward, it's our number one selling breakfast item. Yeah. And so we wanted to bring that authenticity back. We wanted to bring what we did there. So we knew the quality we had because we had been doing it for several years. But we also knew that the only way we also had the success we had is because we were very much customer f- focused on how we interact with our customer. The right. idea of greeting someone by name, understanding their likes and preferences, what they drink, yeah. and just making them feel welcome. And I would say is that in many places, even now and probably after COVID even more so, I know there were very few places that I would walk into that I would felt I was known. Right. Somebody who knew who I was. Not that they, I had never been there or that they weren't f- friendly or they weren't nice, but you felt like you were known. Yeah. And so we decided when we opened up La Finca here in Frisco that we were going to bring that to be that place, and you know that a little bit of the history of this property, there were two icons of Frisco that existed here um, uh, that Frisco is very well known for. For sure. One is the snow cone lady. For sure. If you've been around Frisco any length of time, you know about the snow cone lady. She's, uh, Frisco and the snow cone lady are just kind of hand in hand. The second one was Double Dip that used to be here yes. on this property where we, we are located. And we said, what better way to turn that pro- this property into another one of those type of locations for the community? Yeah. And that's what that was our aim. That was our goal. Have we gotten there? Probably not. Yeah. We're still working on it. But that's where the vision was, and that was where the target is. Yeah. So that led us to how do we train? Well, it has to, the, the only way you can do it, it has to become part of who you are. Yeah. It's in your DNA. And so if it's part of who you are, there's no other option to do it. Right. And so that's what, when we bring people on, um, I always tell people when I interview them, is that if you're going to come and work here, if you're not a people person, uh, you're going to hate this job because I'm going to ask you yeah. to interact with people. So if that's not you, don't take the job because you're probably not going to be happy here. But if you enjoy people, you're going to love it. Yeah. And so it's always setting the expectation and trying to find the right uh, personalities that would work well. For sure. And then also the expectations of the quality of work that we would ask for. Yeah. And now is that uh, along the lines of, uh, I guess, relational coffee uh, in the sense of utilizing coffee to draw people together, but driven through the 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 staff to create that atmosphere um is that is is that correct i would say that is part of it okay and the staff here in the shop plays a very important part of it yeah because i always tell people i can't be the only one who does this because 
I one, I can't be here every hour of the day. Right. Secondly, if you do grow, you can't personally interact with every customer that comes into the door. So it has to be anybody that encounter the customer encounters presents that type yeah. of service, presents that type of interaction with our customers. So it starts yeah. with the staff saying we are going to be relational, but when we talk about relational coffee, we're going much deeper than our end customer. Okay. This goes back to all the way from what is the source of our product to who is the end consumer of our product. Okay. Yeah. And if I can take a quick minute and discuss that, Please is do. that one of the things we're very passionate about is working with coffee farmers. We call them producers mm -hmm. in the in the industry. They're called coffee producers. And the passion behind there is that historically they've probably been the most, hmm. uh, they do a lot of the work and right. get the least amount of compensation for the work that they do. That's how I feel as the boss. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Yeah. I, I, can, I can relate to yeah. you. And so what we did when uh, we're looking at this is that 90% or so of the coffee farmers around the world are small land owners. Okay. So they're not these large farms that you kind of see in the movies or you hear about, but there is a small family yeah. who may own a piece of land right behind their house or nearby that was just been passed, around, passed through uh, from generation to generation. And so it's been what the families lived off. Some of them, it's a means to, the land is to live off of and it produces this crop that yeah. can be sold to feed themselves. Other is it's a means to uh, feed them, put food on, food on the table. Right. But very few consume the product themselves. And so when we started seeing the dynamics living in Mexico, I got to know farmers yeah. and was taken out by people who work in the industry and saw what got a better understand what's going on. We said that we, when we set up this business that we wanted it to be uh, relational that we were going to work with then two to three degrees of separation of those farmers. What did that mean? Is that in many instances, we'd love to say, I'll work directly with the farmer. Culturally, a lot of things, that's not always realistic. Right. You need an importer, you need an exporter at a minimum. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, you might need a, a local person who's working day in and day out that knows the cus customs, the um, just the culture, yeah. things, how they work. And so we just wanted to find good partners, and that's the relational side of it. People who had a like-minded uh, view of the business, mm -hmm. who wanted to accomplish the same things. And so we've been finding those partners around the world. So the relationally, cool. in who we get our product from, yeah. relational, when we think about in our employees, uh, one of the things is that we think, how do we get to a point of fair wages? You hear a lot about this coffee industry specifically. Is it a lot of people enjoy coffee, but then you got to go get a real job to grow yeah, right. when you grow up and have yeah. responsibility. And why is that? And so relational is saying, how do we uh, have employees that we also are partner with, right? And they also can be benefit and also do well as well. And then with our customer as well, what we talked about the service side of it. So that relational coffee is all, all aspects is that we know people that's not a transaction transaction where there's a catalog on the internet Yeah, that you just make a purchase. It's very, but it's actually driven through working with people who have similar objectives yeah. and similar way of doing business. That's the thing I think resonates with my team is 
although we're in two different industries, the, there's such a similar connection to who we are, what our main mission is. Uh, I think we're both, we try to be, you evidently are um, people driven, but I think there's a key word that I love. You know, we live in Frisco, Texas, a place that people are traveling from all over the country, really all over the world to live. I mean, there's billboards of Frisco, Texas and other countries saying, hey, come live in Frisco, Texas. And people come from California, New Jersey, whatever. But the thing is, is sometimes they come here, but they're they're trying to sell or embody the spirit from where they came from. Right. Or it's a business person that has no history in a certain culture, but they're trying to make money off of that culture in a sense. And that's the thing I love about y'all is y'all are selling a product that is based off the the Mexican culture. And the cool thing is you're authentic with it because you have the stories being from there, living there, running a business there. Your wife is actually from Frisco. She's an OG. She probably was here long before 99% of Frisco was here. Probably actually almost 100% since most that were here probably have moved out. And that's what I love when I come into your place is I'm truly getting a taste, not of just Mexico, but a taste of Texas, a taste of Frisco, um, because that's who y'all are. That's what you embody. And that's what we hope to do at Tumbleweed Textiles is when like Jeb is from here. I was raised in from Fort Worth. We went to school in West Texas. The music you hear is actually the music we listen to. The products that we wear is what we wear every day. It's promoting things that we love to do. And I feel like y'all are very much the same way as authentic, real. And so any of you out there that list, are listening that have not been to Frisco, you need to make sure you check out La Finca. Of course, come stop by our store to get a true taste of the rail district in Frisco, Texas. Um, but coming back to this conversation and you, uh, you mentioned relational coffee. What about sustainable coffee? What exactly is that? And what, what do you mean by, I've heard you uh, drop that before is what do you, uh, what is that with your business? So for many people, the first thing we think about when we hear the word sustainability, we think about the environment, the, yeah. Uh, how we treat in the planet and so forth, which is a part of it. So those are the examples of what are we doing now. For example, we have our new coffee bags coming in that we're moving towards are 100% biodegradable. Yeah. So the other things is, for example, we're, we're transitioning to a roaster this upcoming year uh, that is, as well, more friendly to the environment. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we're doing those things as in our processes, and we're moving forward to other things as well. How do we try to be uh, more friendly in that aspect? But there's the other aspect is, as I'll give you when we mentioned, for example, the producers. The, the producers, uh, for example, what's happening because low wages, because they're not making a living, so what happens is that either they convert to other crops because they need to live and yeah live and feed themselves or they many other things are driven by that uh people who work uh for example harvesting the coffee when there's not the pay or the work in many of these countries uh you start having immigration to other countries and there's other issues that come with that we won't go into that but there's drivers basically if you'll read it's like oh there's a lack of a workforce to do the harvesting of the product well where are they but many have left the country to look for work 
Right. Um, but that's all driven back to pricing. So we started going back and saying, okay, sustainability says if they're paid fairly, one, we have more access to quality coffee. Right, yeah. But secondly, we can also uh, help with some of these other social issues that happen in these uh, producing countries. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we have all the solutions or we alone are, are going to solve it all, but be part of a solution that for this product to be sustainable for everyone in the in the uh, yeah. in the business of coffee, we talk about our employees that if they enjoy this industry and they would like to continue it, that there's a means to do it and make a living wage out of it. Yeah, um, and then we speak about uh, so it it has to run all the way through the supply chain and how do we make it sustainable both from an economic, from an environmental, right. and then um, just to continue to provide uh, the service that w- what we're doing. And so that, those are two big focuses that we talk about. It's all relational driven, yeah. but in a means to be sustainable in the long term, not can we do it this year, mm-hmm. but can we do it for the next 20 years, the right. next 30 years? And that's our goal. Okay. So that is, <clears throat> yeah, I was taught at one point, like management is, of course, knowing where you've come from so you can learn. But it's ultimately knowing where you're wanting to go, sure. So that then you can build a bridge from where you are to where you are headed, based off of learning of your past, um, but setting vision to move forward. And, and that's the thing I love hearing you talk right now. Is it's like you just gave a lot, a wealth of knowledge that people probably don't understand what they just heard. Is the, why, the reason why y'all are successful is one, you're being true to who you are. Two, there's a mission of being people driven. But three is it's very evident you know where you want to go and the cause that you're wanting to support, you know. And with that sustainability and, and building a team and having a, an amazing, incredible team, where where do you hope to go from here? Is, is there uh, – also, you're sitting here in Frisco, Texas. You've been in, in Mexico. Uh, is there a, where you, is there something uh, – you might not want to share fully. I don't sure. know. But <laughs> where do you want to go from here – uh, continuing to do and expand on what you're you're doing right here in the rail district. Sure. So one of the things we know is in order to accomplish these things is that there needs to be some form of scalability because as a one shop, one location, we can do some, but we can, but we're limited in what we're able to do. Yeah. Well, first off, I don't think we've said this. You mentioned that scale. I don't think people realize who's I, I see her. Who's in the kitchen rolling up dough, cooking food, uh, the recipes? Who who does all that? <laughs> well, that's what you just described there. That's a lot of Patricia. Exactly, she's, <laughs> she's doing a lot of she's that. Definitely the better half. Yes, she is. Uh, she she always says that uh, I'm just the front person. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get everybody gets to see me, but behind the scenes, there's a lot of other people who are doing those things, and she does a lot of that work. Yeah. Uh, and then we have a lot of people on our team who are contributing as well. And so many people just see me as up front, but there's a lot of people behind me. Well, that's what blows me away and why I say the food is so good. And you make sure she hears that because it's touched by by her. It's recipes from her and leading the back, the kitchen. You know, you you don't find that at almost any restaurant, definitely not at most coffee shops. Most coffee shops are buying food from some vendor or some ghost kitchen. And that's why every day I'm like, did you really make this? <laughs> did you really make this? Because it's so good. 
the tortillas, the your tamales that y'all have done, your soups. I mean, y'all will do things that are like specialty items. Uh, and it's like, how, how do you do this? And it sounds like she's the, the, the secret recipe behind the food. So I think you're going to probably get, you'll be, once this podcast is published and it's heard, you'll probably get some free treats or something with it. Oh, I hope so. I wasn't <laughs> after this. All I was hoping for is get some free coffee today, which by the way, I am drinking this Lafina coffee that my wife bought me this morning. So, which is my wife's favorite part of the morning is when we, we meet at Lafinga before we go into work. Um, but getting back on track, scalability and where you're going with that, knowing not only about the farmers and what you're doing in Mexico uh, with the bean, your wife in the kitchen, your team that are all from the area that are doing it. How, what are you looking at scaling with uh, continue what you were sharing? So, um, what on the scalability? There's a couple of things we were, we were doing, and and just to clarify a little bit, uh, though a lot of our our food and our pastries are of Mexican, uh, you know, come from Mexican heritage and and authenticity mm-hmm. of Mexican items. When it comes to coffee, we do coffee from all over the world. Yeah, and so we we on that piece, we're dealing with people in different countries from uh, Colombia. To in Mexico, we yeah. Kenya, we've done Burundi, uh, we have a great coffee right now from Peru. We have some stuff from Honduras right now. We have we're working to build those relationships in several different countries, and but on the scalability, a couple of things we're doing is one we're creating a, a production place for where we're going to produce our our coffee and our baked goods on a larger scale. Yeah. The second thing we're doing is adding additional locations where we'll be selling, you know, similar to our setup here in Frisco. But the idea here is, isn't growth just for growth sakes. If we can do it well, a couple of things we can do is in which doing it well, some of that is e-commerce. Um, it can, it also is in store, physical, you know, physical stores, a combination of things. But what we can do is the employ, employ people, give more opportunities of employment. Yeah. The second is the larger quantities we can buy at that sustainable prices that we speak about, the more impact we can have on farmers and producers in these different countries. And then lastly, on top of that, is doing what we just spoke about doing in the community, giving people a place to gather, yeah. giving a, people, a place where they can build their relationships. And so we feel like it can be a win for everyone. Yeah. And if we we can do this well and replicate it, just the reach that we can have in communities, both locally and internationally, are expanded. And so that's just our heart. That's yeah. our goal. And sometimes um, it does mean doing business a little different. Yeah. Um, and but that's just part of it. But we have once again, there's a clearly a goal, and it's not the sake of selling the most number of items possible. Um, or just growing to be make the most amount of money possible. Yeah. But we want it to be uh, of, of a good impact to the community, right? But also to people, for sure. You hey, talk about pricing strategy, and that was actually a question I was going to ask you specific to what your products are. But you pretty much already answered the question: is why you price things the way you do is. You're training your staff. You're getting quality product and make sure you're not cheating someone on the the back end of that, you know, the development of that product. You know, for us, people are like, man, you do a $28 shirt. We don't understand why it's so expensive. So we can go to another big uh, box retail store and buy it for $10. I'm like, well, 
the problem is is the artist of that is probably sitting in a third world country that is getting paid nothing to do what they do uh one whereas we have a local artist my business partner and my wife you know jeb or hillary um two they don't understand like the cost of goods you know so it's you know let's say the shirt actually cost us when you think of the garment the shipping fees the maybe it's uh you know taxes duties whatever it might be for importing it in you know might end up costing us with that and then the ink and then our hem tag on it let's say eleven dollars right is what the cost maybe is and then we have to hire a staff you know there's credit card fees if you buy it it's 3.5 percent i have to build into it packaging tape if if you get free shipping shipping fees um there's insurance there you know there's all these fees that come that you know, we might only be making a couple of dollars from that T-shirt when it's all said and done. And I don't think the end user always recognizes that. Small business owners do. Uh, for y'all, there's so many coffee shops, bakeries, restaurants, not just in Frisco, but just across the country. And I think sometimes people might say, oh, because I think of it as craft coffee. Y'all, y'all, y'all are putting your touch to it. Is how do y'all price beyond just where you're sourcing, but with your staff and everything, like what all goes in your mind that you have to plan for as you price out your product? Sure. So I would say goes back to these strategies we spoke of previously. If we are going to be relational, we're going to be sustainable. You sit here and say, when I complete this transaction, can I feel like I was fair, equitable to everybody involved in this process? Yeah. And if I can look at myself in the mirror and know I was, I would rather do that any day than just saying, well, I was able to be the cheapest, make my money, yeah. and not be concerned with what happened to everyone else. Yeah. And so those goes back goes back to if I pay my staff the least amount possible, how does it, do I feel about it just so I can make more money myself? If I pay that farmer the least amount possible so I can make more money, how do I feel about that myself? So... There's a, for us, I won't speak for what anybody else does. I always say I'm not going to be critical of anybody else's strategy. Right. But I will say what I feel personally, the convictions that I have, morals that I have, is saying that if I can look at myself in the mirror and do these things, and then I know what I want to cuss my end customer who's buying from me, who might say, yes, this may cost a little more than uh, someone down the street. Yeah. Say, but did you get a fair price for the quality of the product you received. Yes, exactly. That's not the cheapest price, Yeah. but part of that is fair price because service has a value yeah. versus going into a place where maybe you're not quite the service, maybe not quite the experience, yeah. but saying all that should mean hopefully the experience is worth it to us. And so when I look at pricing, that's what I'm what I'm looking at. And ultimately is that I want to be able to continue doing what I'm doing, yeah. not just this year, but for sure for multiple years to come. And I think a lot, I mean, everyone knows the average small business goes out of business. And I think there's multiple, many reasons why, but I think one is inventory, not understanding how to manage inventory. I mean, we've been there, those are battles we face. Uh, but two, I think it's pricing strategy and not understanding accounting or finance. Luckily, you have a little corporate background. We're very similar. I have a corporate background in marketing and, and advertising. 
Um, and I think the pricing strategy, a lot of times we've had a podcast before. One of our episodes is about pricing as an artist. Sure. But it's very much the pricing of a business is you got to make sure you price it to in- increase the value of your brand, but being fair to the price for your customer. But you got to make sure you're taking care of your staff and everyone that is a part of the process so that you don't go out of business down the road uh, because of a poor pricing strategy. Sure. Um, you mentioned competing in service and quality. There's a third, it's the price. And very rarely are you going to find someone that competes on price that has quality service or product. But typically, people that have quality service and product um, are going to have a higher price. And so you get what you pay for. And that's what my wife and I love is when we come to your place is we're not, we'll pay anything for the service and the quality, but also the experience that we're getting from La Finca. And on that note, what exactly is La Finca? So first I would say appreciate the feedback and the comment and the way you and your wife look at our business because that's what we want that it is fair. So appreciate that. Now going back to your question, what is La Finca? So a lot of people say, what is that? That's a question we get regularly. So in Latin America, um, most of your coffee farms are called fincas. It would be, to correlate it to Texas, it's naming a ranch. You would name a ranch, um, you know, maybe the family name, a river nearby, the, what the area is known by. They would just be uh, naming it, but it would be ranch so-and-so yeah. or, or something ranch. And so in Latin America, coffee farms are used to be referred to as fincas. Okay. Uh, so generically speaking, saying, hey, we're going to go out to the coffee farm, they would say, we're going to go visit the finca. That's cool. Okay. Um, but in the, at the same time, they would also name those farms as some th- finca so-and-so. Okay. And so it's a generic word just saying this is uh, a farm. And specifically in Latin America, they refer to most coffee farms as fincas. But to us, it's the imagery of it's the source of the product. And it's the way we look at things. We want to bring to you scratch products. Yeah. We roast our own coffee. We make our food from scratch. We bake from scratch. And so what we want you to experience is just like that. Just like our finger represents the source of the product we want you to feel when you come to our place. You're getting something that's brought to you from a, a pure uh, starting point of an ingredient yeah. and presented to you verse, for example, something that was just warmed up and served to you that was previously made. Very cool. Well, I know we're getting close to the end, but I want to open it up just for a few more minutes. Uh, is there anything random? Uh, I've, I've done all the asking from you from the La Finca's team and family side about Tumbleweed Textiles. Sure. Uh, is there, like, I'm just curious, we're your neighbor – but what's y'all's view of who we are and what we do um, in our local community, but specifically as neighbors to y'all? So first I would just compliment Tumbleweed, yourself and Tumbleweed, is just because one of the things I've noticed, as I mentioned before, we got to know each other through uh, the construction of these physical spaces that we opened up here in Frisco. But even since then is that I know the generosity of Tumbleweed. I know that you guys are first ones when it's time to help with schools, teachers, in the community, um, nonprofits around that you're very active in being a part of what you can do uh, to help. So first and foremost, I would like to congratulate you and just that 
having that passion to do that, because as we mentioned, as a business owner, it's not a requirement. It just becomes part of who you are. And so, one, first, I'd like to congratulate you guys for that. That is humbling. Thank you. And secondly, uh, just a couple of questions. So we'll we'll flip the script quickly. So we got to know each other during COVID. So post-COVID, has that has COVID changed Tumbleweed and just kind of vision strategy where it's going where it's going has there been a shift or would you guys say no we're pretty much rolling along what we where we've always been yeah well the the funny thing is you know for those that are listening is Lee only knows us basically the latter half to post COVID and so the root of this question is probably like who the heck were we before you knew us. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, when Jeb and I started Tumbleweed Textiles in 2011, we were an e-commerce online business only that ha- also happened to pop up at local events, specifically things in typically Frisco, Prosper, McKinney, hi- you know, hyper-local areas. Um, to fast forward to the point, I think uh, COVID and that whole experience through that shifted my mind. You know, luckily we were already set up as an e-commerce business, whereas most brands start as a brick and mortar that then had to become e-commerce. Sure. So we already had that. Two, we were in the process of building a store in the middle of COVID, which was scary. Excuse me. And so I think we had to get really creative to figure like, we don't have a store yet. E-commerce, we are doing that, but now we have a lot more competition on e-commerce. Also, we had to figure out our consumer, like what, why would they buy a shirt? And so our marketing strategy that shifted, we realized, okay, most people are getting to wear t-shirts through COVID because they're working from home, you know? So that shifted our mindset of our, our communication of, Hey, you can wear your shirt anytime Two, We also, because we're in the craft beer space and custom space had a lot of our retailers that could not open specifically bars because bars were the first ones that could not open. And so therefore the craft beer world was really struggling in Texas, at least. So we sold a product that rarely ever sold, which was a growler. And so we, I started calling up different uh, bars and breweries around Texas and specifically Dallas-Fort Worth. And I'm like, hey, we have these growlers. Because most of you source them from other countries, you can't get your hand on these growlers. We will give them to you at no cost right now. We will give you a net 60, a net 90, pay them, pay us later. And you can even return them if they don't sell because they were doing beer to go. Sure. And so that kind of revived their business, which then 90 days later, it really helped us because people started paying, you know, their bills. On the wholesale side, we started educating our wholesalers on how to do e-commerce and how to sell their product. And while most of our competitors were unable to get their product from overseas or whatever it might be, we had an over, abundance of overstock. So we were sending our product to our wholesalers at net 90s with free koozies, with free stickers, so they can entice their people to come purchase and pick up from, you know, from their store. And what happened was over that quick time frame of COVID, we actually got to expand our space um, at our footprint at stores because our competitors couldn't fill their, their orders. We could. So then a year later, two years later, it allowed us to really grow and expand unknowingly because we just had more space at their stores. So those are some quick things, but kind of what we had to do in COVID to shift our mindset. 
it's interesting. I always think it's great to hear other people's stories because that's how you learn. Yeah. Um, maybe it's not directly related to what you do, but it's always helpful, beneficial, and that's how you get good ideas. Yeah. And so I do have one more, and that'll be the last okay. one because I know on, uh, we'll be mindful of time here. But would there be one thing, if you could do anything differently, personally or business-wise, would there be one thing you would do differently? Hmm. You know, I think – I don't know significantly if there's one thing because the reason why we are where we're at is because of those lessons I've learned. Sure. You know, so I'm glad I, I'm a big, as iron sharpens iron, it takes conflict, controversy, and it's like a kid riding a bike, you got to fall to learn to continue on that bike. And so I, I actually enjoy adversity uh, because it makes us better. But I think the one thing is probably we kind of went with the flow day one, learn as we go. Cause we are two high school teachers. And even though I had a marketing degree and a business background, I thought I was an expert. Once you start doing it, you learn you're not because you learn as you go and you realize when well, I don't know anything, what I'm doing. I think at the beginning, having legal counsel contract set up, um, an accountant that could get us in line day one is I think we probably could have expanded quicker if we didn't have those hiccups along the way, because Jeb and I trust everybody, at least day one. And we're not good old boys as it relates to like a negative connotation, but we're West Texas boys that just, you trust people. You leave your door unlocked. You can leave your cars, you know, your keys in your car. Uh, and you just trust people is once we started playing with the big boys and girls of corporate America, we started realizing there are people that take advantage of you. Uh, there are people that will use and abuse you for what our skill set was. So I think day one, if we would have had legal counsel and protection, quality protection, uh, we probably would be further along beyond where we're at today. So uh, anyways, hopefully that makes sense. No, that makes sense. No, that's great to hear. I think the one thing you mentioned there, and I think I would agree, is that you're always learning. Yeah. And you will will fail along the way, but you learn from those failures, and that's how you get better. 100%. So, So, uh, you know, thank you for for – coming to to join us today i know when i asked you i wasn't sure if you would do this you and i love talking every morning but it's a different at a, on a podcast um, but i will say this to wrap up is you know i genuinely see the authenticity i see the hard work you model everything you just said you model it to your staff i see you being one of the first ones there probably one of the last ones to leave you work seven days a week i see you mopping the floors cleaning the bathrooms tasting the coffee at the cash register, talking to people, is you truly model everything you expect from your staff. So therefore, your staff understands what to do and how to do it because they see it from you. Uh, and that's the thing I respect most about you as a as a business owner and leader. So thank you. Um, but if, anyways, all of y'all listening, if you are ever able to make it to Frisco, Texas, um, I highly encourage you to check out La Finca Coffee and Bakery right next to us at the patios uh, in the Rail District. And uh, we appreciate y'all listening. Please share with your friends. Tag us uh, on social media and help expand the word as we try to give y'all a little little taste of um, our lives, stories, and success to hopefully help you uh, on your journey with whatever y'all do in your endeavors. Thank y'all. Thank you. Thank you.